Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. So we're now in Genesis chapter 43, and guess what? We will cover two chapters today. Genesis 43 to 44. And if I preach one hour to one hour and five minutes for a chapter in the book of Genesis, so you can just imagine how long this sermon would be today. No, it's a short, I hope, 50 to 50 minutes to one hour today. To stand with me as I read. Genesis 43, and I'll just follow along because I'll be jumping some of these verses. The reading of the word of the Lord. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again to buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down, buy our food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Jump with me to verse 8. This is Judah in response to Jacob. And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise, go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we have not delayed, we would have returned twice. Judah yielded to that in verse 14, his prayer. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the men, and may he send back your brother, brought your brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the man into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. Verse 18, And the men were afraid. Because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said it is because of the money which was replaced in our socks. The first time that we brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. Now they explained, but the surprising thing is that instead of being incarcerated, they were shown Abundant kindness. Verse 24. Sorry, verse 23. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your socks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The rest of the chapter tells us how they enjoyed a good dinner over wine with their brother Joseph. Now chapter 44, verse 1. Then he commanded the stewards of his house, fill the men's socks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth sock, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sock of of the youngest, with his money for the grain. Now, servant went after them. Let's jump to verse 11. Then each man lowered his sock 
to the ground, each man opened his sock. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sock. Then they tore their clothes. Every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. So after the talk with Joseph, Judah explains, starting from verse 18, but I'll just read verse 30, down to verse 34. This is Judah saying to Joseph, Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with me, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shawl. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Praise be to God for the reading of this word. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us instruction and reminds us of, your, of the greatness of your love. And today we humbly ask, Lord, we who are dull in our understanding apart from the Holy Spirit, we whose hearts you regenerated, Lord, we ask that the ministry, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit would work as your word is preached today, that our hearts might be changed and our lives will be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take your seats. Man has continually attempted to bring back the peace in this world. And we know that there are a lot of isms already. Human ingenuity, man, at the best of his wisdom, tried to come up with an idea on how to bring this world together this broken world together. In fact, the latest is that what they call as critical race theory. If you know that in the U.S., other name is wokeism. Meron tayong sariling version in the Philippines na yung mga namulat na daw ang mata ay hindi na po pwedeng hindi makita yung mga mali around us. And this kind of philosophy really banks on equality. It's really crazy because in their thinking, the world will be made right if, for example, in one company, if there are 10 top management, there should be 10 blocks and 10 white. Very crazy because it is no longer about competence. It is about their idea of equality is skewed, really skewed. So this is what critical race theory is all about, and this is designed to Bring peace on earth. This is designed to bring unity on earth. But I would not be surprised that just give it a year or two, we will begin to see the downfall of this kind of philosophy. Because if you look at the U.S. right now, which is big on critical race theory, this this philosophy has done nothing but divide the country. In fact, this has even divided the churches in the U.S. And... Church leaders even have different take on this hot issue in U.S. I think for us as a church, we, we need to understand that it's not human ingenuity. It's not human wisdom. It's not human idea that would bring this world together. It is continually be the sacrificial love. It will continually be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we... Believers should not be skeptical when it comes to unity. If it can happen, if it is possible to happen within a few group of people, and one day when Jesus Christ returns, we should not be skeptical that this most coveted, the ating 
pinaka-asam-asam na unity would finally happen. The shalom will once again be here. Everything will be placed in order again. And there will be no broken things around us again. This is what we will be looking at today. That's why we entitle our sermon, How God Unites Broken People. How God Unites Broken People. Now, we learned last week that true redemption, true redemption, true salvation, is not simply just taking away our problems or anything that would cause us pain. We learned that true redemption is transforming us back to the design of God. That by transforming us back to the design of God, we can truly be reconciled to one another. We can truly be reconciled with these people who hurt us, who obtained us. And we see that God started it by calling us to come to terms with our brokenness. I mean, church, again, I'd like to remind us that there is nothing wrong to come to see what's our problem instead of denying it. Instead of denying that we are guilty of lust or pride or greediness or materialism or covetousness, instead of denying it, we need to see that brokenness that we might truly repent from them. Now, the theme of transforming God's people, that they might truly be reconciled to one another, would continue all throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. Here in Genesis 43 and 44, God will transform these brothers, leading to their restored relationship. If chapter 45, it's like the climax of this broken relation, this broken family. And take note carefully that what brought them together is love, not power, not equality, not revolution, not, not even distribution of wealth. Mark sees him where the capitalists just have to distribute their wealth so that the poor can also have something. That's not. It's love. It will be evident as we study this chapter. So I'll be revolving around this idea today. If you miss a lot of what I would about to say, don't miss this one. We cannot be skeptic about true unity happening because it is what God accomplished through the sacrificial love of Christ. And even us, we know that we have been united by the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of Christ. Now, as we seek to answer on how God would unite the broken relationship of this broken family, we will divide the chapters into three, giving us three points. First, God can bring us together to a loving rebuke. To take note, God can bring us together through a loving rebuke. That's chapter 43, verses 1 to 14. Second, God can bring us together through a loving care. That's the rest of chapter 43. And third, God can bring us together through a sacrificial love. That is chapter 44. So it's all about love, different expressions, but Nonetheless, all of this issues from love, which makes us realize it's really love that brings broken people together. First, God can bring us together through a loving rebuke. Now, this is one thing that we don't like. The famine was really used by God here as the furnace that purifies this family. I think if the famine did not persist, then Jacob would not have wanted to send Benjamin all the way down to Egypt. He would not want. He could not imagine life without Benjamin. But God forced him through this famine. So he asked his children again to go get grain, although he knew already that the condition, if they would go to Egypt, it means he has to send his favorite son, Benjamin. Now Judah said or explained that, Dad, we did not 
cause trouble to you. We did not intentionally bring trouble to you. The man was so wise. He first asked us, how's your family? Do you have a dad? Do you have a son? Well, rightly so, because Joseph knew the family. And they already said the details of their family before Joseph said, unless you bring your brother here, you cannot see my face again. So we did not intentionally bring trouble to you. The man was just wise. Judah said to his father in verses 8 to 10, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and, by the way, you, and also our little ones. So you can imagine how severe the famine was. I will be a pledge of his safety. I will be the guarantee. What do you mean by that? He said, from my hand you shall require him. In other words, my life for the boy's life. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we have not delayed, we would have returned twice. Apparently, the grain that they brought from their first trip to Egypt were consumed already after a little more than 12 weeks. Just a little more than 12 weeks because one way to Egypt is six weeks. And so to return is another six weeks. So they could have returned once more again or maybe around 24 weeks. But it's not surprising to feed 66 adults, men, excluding the wives and the children. You find in chapter 42, verse 26, that there were 66 men in the family. Now notice these words of Judah in verses 8 to 10 are geared towards confronting, hindi lamang po yung favoritism ni Jacob, sacrificing the whole family. Look at the thinking of Jacob. He can sacrifice the whole family if only that he can keep the young boy Benjamin Safe. That's just illogical. And have you ever thought that favoritism is really illogical in the family? Not only that one, but he was also confronting Jacob's failure to trust God. This is the main problem of Jacob. He failed to trust God. Up to this point, Jacob was still not able to trust that God had a plan in taking away Joseph. Joseph was gone for 22 years, but he has never moved on. You know, after some time, there should be a sense of acceptance. Right? There should be a sense of acceptance. And we as believers, even if we do not understand everything, at least in our hearts, we can say that, Lord, I don't have perfect wisdom, but you do. And I just trust you. But it did not happen to Jacob. He instead was still salty after 22 years. It is clear from his words when he said, if my gray hair will go down to the shawl. Same words that he said 22 years ago. Same heart. Same heart. And Look at his resolve. His resolve was to make sure that what happened to his first favorite son, Joseph, will not happen to his second favorite son, Benjamin. And the way he would accomplish this is, Benjamin would just stay by my side. Go out there, face the danger, go get grain for us, but not Benjamin. Kalaki-laking mama eh, bini-baby. You know? Unlike Jacob, look at the contrast. Unlike Jacob, we are beginning to see this transformation of Judah. Very beautiful transformation of Judah. Remember Judah was, it was Judah's idea to say, why don't we just sell our brother, Joseph? At least kikita pa tayo. Instead of putting our hands on him. Not only that he presented himself as a pledge for the safety of Benjamin, meaning he will take the blame if anything wrong would happen to 
Benjamin, but he also, I believe, lovingly confronted Jacob's seeming lack of trust in God. Seeming lack trust trust in God, which made again Jacob very irrational. It takes maturity to confront sin, isn't it? Is that one thing that you love to do? Hey, brother, let's talk. I see a problem with you. (laughs) Some people are gifted with that. Back in Cebu, there was somebody in that specific Bible study group that I was a part of. She said that her calling is a watchman. And we thought, what, what is a watchman? He said, my calling is to see what's the problem with you. And that will come. Good for you. I don't want that calling. It takes maturity to confront a sinning brother. How much more your father? What Judah did here, beautifully, is he displayed what a good father should have done when his family is in trouble. To be willing to sacrifice his own life for the sake of his whole family. The truth of the matter, Jacob should have displayed this. Judah somehow put Jacob in a bad light. And taking into consideration our pride as people, Jacob could have said, what right do you have to speak this way to your own father? And yet Jacob's response was that of humility and trust in God. And this is how we know that God used this seeming rebuke from Judah to transform Jacob. God used this seeming rebuke from Judah to transform Jacob. Genesis 43, 11-14 records Jacob's humble response. Verse 11. If it must be so, look at that. Jacob yielded to his sons. He yielded to the reasoning of Judah. It made sense. But as a father, of course, he would still command. He then said, if it must be so, he then do this. Take note that the word take is mentioned three times. Verse 11, take some of the choicest fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, beer, pistachio nuts, and almonds. So obviously they still have a lot. They just don't have the grain. Verse 12. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your socks. And take another money for the payment of what you are about to get. Verse 13. Take also your Brother, and arise, go again to the man. Surely, Jacob did the practical part. Bring gifts, bring the money, and bring Benjamin. And this is clearly to appease Joseph because this reminds us of Jacob's tactics when he was about to face his brother Esau. Remember? Bring present. And this is ideal Jacob here. He surely presents, or he surely sent present para uupa po yung galit ni Joseph. At least that's what they're thinking. However, Jacob was able to do this because he learned to trust in God. Look at his prayer in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the men, and may he send back your other brother, that Simeon and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Look at that. Jacob's prayer revealed his trust and humility before God. And his thinking, if all of them should be sent back safe to him, mentioned the other brothers, Simeon and Benjamin, but really the essence is if all of them would come back to him. It would be through the mercy of God. 
it would be through the mercy of God. He entrusted, finally, natuto na po si Joseph to entrust the safety of his sons to the mercy of God. And the second part of the prayer, pangalawa pong part of prayer, look at this, would prove that Jacob have finally trusted in the mercy of God alone. If he understood, he deserved not the favor of God. Remember, he just learned that he realized that he was actually guilty of unbelief these past years. He should, in all humility, accept whatever God would allow. Isn't it? If you are really humbled before God, you don't come to God and say, Lord, why did you allow this sickness? Well, in the first place, if you stand before the cross, you understand what you deserve. So people who really humbled themselves and just trusted God can accept their faith in life. This is what he said then. If I am bereaved, in other words, if God takes away his children, and really the word bereaved is destitute, so what he's saying, if God will take away all my children, then I'm destitute. He finally accepted it from not being able to accept that he lost his favorite son and making sure that he will not lose again his remaining favorite son, Benjamin, to finally resigning or yielding or submitting or surrendering to the will of God is a clear indication. It is a clear indication of Jacob's transformation. You want to know that you have grown in maturity? Are you able to say, if the Lord wills, or whatever the will of God is, oh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Let the name of the Lord be praised. I like Eli. God gave words to Samuel saying this is what will happen to the family of Eli because his sons were evil. And God spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, Samuel, through the instruction of Eli, Samuel heard the words of God. He told that to Eli. And he might be a bad father, but he said, that's the will of the Lord that it be done it was not an easy thing, but that's a mark of a mature person. Here we find a man who has learned what it means to trust God. The church, we get this, through God's work of love, a loving rebuke would win a sinning brother back to a relationship of love and trust in God, which in return would restore his relationship to his brothers. Let me just say it again. A loving rebuke would win a sinning believer back to a relationship of love and trust in God, which in return would restore his relationship to his brothers. That's how important rebuke to the life of a community. For sure, rebuke can further damage a relationship if it is not done rightly. And if you take into consideration our pride, when Malu confronts me of a particular sin in my life, I would always say, just give me an overnight to think about it, sleep on it, and tomorrow morning we'll talk again. Because I am a person who cannot easily take a rebuke. I am a person who cannot easily take or see the problem with me. And I ask for forgiveness from you if you have a hard time rebuking me because in my face, you already see that it is saying, no, you cannot rebuke me. But nonetheless, this is very important to our life as a community. If the Lord works, we would win our brother from sin and be restored to us. This is what Jesus sought to explain in Matthew 18, 15 to 18. It reads, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the goal. It's not to hurt the brother. 
is not to express our anger to our brothers. It's to gain our brother back. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you. He showed that he is not a true believer. Treat him as one. And obviously, Jesus wanted the church to do this out of their trust in God. Verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 to 20 of Matthew 18 says, Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It will be honored in heaven. I have given you the authority. Verse 19, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. It is a promise that when we confront a brother lovingly, God will be with us. So God is continually growing the relationship of his people towards him and towards each other in the practical sense of it. Yes, he does. But we have to understand that one of the ways by which he does it is through a loving rebuke. Through a loving rebuke. should be able to rebuke and we should be able to accept rebuke. And let's change our picture of rebuke, church, at least in our church. Rebuke is a loving expression of love if done rightly. Rebuke is an expression of love if done rightly. That's why Paul admonished us to speak the truth in love. Calling us to lovingly tell our brothers their problem. So are there things that you see in your brother or in your sister that does not align to the truth? And if you see it, do you out of love and not anger, by the way, tell him of it. Before doing that, do you pray hard that you will gain the brother? The brother will repent, see his problem, and trust in the Lord. Moving to the next point. The family of Jacob is starting to be one when Jacob chose to trust God and humble his family. We cannot overlook the fact that this is the first time in the book of Genesis that they are finally one in their decision. They have decided as one to go down to Egypt. The next thing we see in the story, which further brings this family together, is the love and compassion that Joseph showed to his brothers. So God can bring us together through a loving care. Through a loving care. You intentionally show care to one another. This is a very family thing, church. So, so I love these chapters. Because we want to foster unity in the church. We want to foster a loving care towards one another. So do you intentionally show loving care? Not just, I pray for your brother. But really... Put it in action. Armed with the present, the money, and Benjamin, of course, the brother went down to Egypt and appeared before Joseph. That's verse 15. Now, Joseph's action might be confusing to the brothers. Very confusing. Harsh treatment when they first came there. And now, unexpectedly, they were shown lavish hospitality. Now, this is intentional in the part of Joseph, but for Oh, this is, yeah, Joseph had a clear understanding of what he's doing. But for the brothers, this is confusing. From verse 17 to the end of this chapter, the brothers of Joseph will be perplexed. The word in verse 33b, and the men looked at one another in amazement, is the right word that described this brother. They were amazed. They were beside themselves. 
if you are amazed, it's a combination of expecting for the worst but enjoying the best. When you expect the worst but you enjoy the best, it is a fertile soil for growth. Though we grow as Christians, when we clearly understand, I don't deserve anything from God, but so far, everything that God has given me is for my best. And that fuels transformation. And this is what we find here with these brothers. Through Joseph's instruction, the men were brought to his house. You were brought to the house of the prime minister. You were brought to the house of the vice president, if you may. What would you think? Well, this is good. This is humbling. We are invited to eat with him in his house. But didn't he treat us harshly the first time we came here? And didn't the money, weren't the money in our socks? He must have been doing this to put us in prison. Well, they said the houses of the officials of Egypt at the time have private jails in their house. Remember the chief baker and the chief cupbearer, they were actually in prison in the house of the captain of the guard. And they said, we are being brought to his house that he might jail, put us in jail there, or at least a private jail. They could not make sense. And that they did not really make sense of what was happening is evident at the fact that they simply lost their composure. They simply lost their composure. Look at verse 18 down to verse 22 with me. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. They were controlled by these fears. And they said, I this because of the money which was replaced in our socks the first time that we are brought in so that he might assault us and fall upon us to make us his servants. Really? You really think that Joseph would covet your donkeys? (laughs) They speculated. They speculated and noticed that they were not asked. But verse 19 says, they were not asked about what happened. Verse 19, so they went up up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. And without being questioned, they explained in verse 20, saying, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our socks, and there was each one's money in the mouth of his sock, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought our money, new money with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our socks. Have you heard of trial by publicity? Right, today they say you will be put on trial by publicity. This is not trial by publicity. This is the brothers making their self-made trial. No one is questioning them, but they explain. And by the way, they were expecting a non-guilty verdict that the steward would believe that they did not steal the money. This just shows that they were surely expecting the worst. Yung worst po yung kanilang inexpect. Yet they, what they will receive from here are a series of kindness from Joseph. Let me enumerate. First, the answer of the servant in verse 23. The servant says, Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers. Joseph seemed to disciple his steward, isn't it? This is an Egyptian. The God and the God of your fathers. We are supposed to learn from Joseph. For God has placed you. You're supposed to disciple the people around you. Has put your treasure in your socks for you. Received your money. First, that's the first. Second, Simeon was brought to them. Verse 23b. Third, they were shown the hospitality for an honored guest. Look at verse 24. It says, And when the 
man had brought the men into Joseph's house. They gave them water. They had washed their feet. They had given their donkey's father. They were given the hospitality to an honored guest. They were Joseph's honored guest. And clearly they were still perplexed. That's why they bowed twice to Joseph. They still presented their gifts to Joseph. Number four, after a little chit-chat about their father and if Benjamin was the brother that they told him, they were served the best food from the table of Joseph. Everything in verse 32 to 34 must have been so strange to the brother. They must have been looking to one another. What's going on? What's going on in here? Let's read this one. Verse 32. They serve him by himself, that's Joseph, and them by themselves, so they were given their own food. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Let's stop here and acknowledge historical background. They said this is the reason why God would rather have them in Egypt at this time instead of Canaan, because for the people of Canaan, they were like, be one with us, embrace our gods too. But for the Egyptians, they were like, no, we cannot eat with you. And it's a good thing for Israel because they can retain their national identity. They will be protected from embracing the gods of Egypt. But notice that the Egyptians could not eat with them. I don't know how they look at Joseph. You look like us. You're like a Jew. Did they think that Joseph is an Egyptian who looks like a Jew? I don't know. One thing for sure is that they would never expect the things that would happen next. Verse 33. They sat before him, silent, the first according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. How in the world can they know our chronological order as brothers? This is creepy. And that's why the men looked at one another in amazement. By the way, the amazement here is not, not simply because they were arranged chronologically, but everything that was shown to them. Verse 34, And this should throw them out of their seats. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. I believe there were special food in Joseph's table. The lichon was served there. Right. And they were not expecting this. The waiter started to get food from Joseph's table and put it on their table. We also have lichon. But Benjamin's portion was five times, and this is crazy. Why is Benjamin five times as much as ours? And with this kindness and love and grace that Joseph showed them, maybe they were a little bit tipsy over wine, but they have forgotten their fears. And I think it's not the wine, it's, it's the kind of love shown to them, it's the kind of kindness shown to them that the rest of verse 34 reads, and they drunk and were merry, and look at this, with him. They were now BFF. Siguro binabatok-batokan na nila si Joseph nung nalasing na. Napare. Very comfortable already. Now surely, again, the brothers were confused at such kindness, but not Joseph. We are told why Joseph did all of this. Look at verse 29. With me to verse 31. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. 
and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face. And controlling himself outwardly, he's trying to show that he was composed, but inwardly, his heart broke. His heart was weeping. He said, serve the food. Joseph, look at this. Joseph did all of these things because of his compassion for them. And yes, you might say this is just for Benjamin, but no, I beg to disagree because if you go back to chapter 44, verse 42, verse 24, when he heard them saying, we are guilty of our brother's life, you know that Joseph also exited and went. His heart goes to his brother. And if you love trivia, let me give you one here. Remember Moses loved to use words in a unique way to communicate his point. The word compassion in verse 30 is the same word translated mercy in Jacob's prayer in verse 14. Same when Jacob said, may God grant us mercy. Same word. In other words, this is Moses' way of saying God answered the prayer of Joseph and gave them mercy through the compassion of Joseph. If I look at that, I love that because it says there, Joseph's compassion was awakened. It reflects the compassion of God when he looked at Israel. They were sinning, they were routed by the enemy. And he looked at them and think, should I destroy you like the rest of the nations that I destroyed? Uzziah 11 verse 9 says to us, and this is God speaking, My heart recoils. My heart is awakened within me. My compassion grows and tender. God reflected his compassion to his to the brothers by the compassion of Joseph. Therefore, the mercy of God through the compassion of Joseph have conquered the fears of the brothers and made them at ease in the presence of Joseph. This does not only show that the broken relationship of this very dysfunctional family is starting to be mended, but it also showed that the mercy shown to these brothers have sanctified their hearts. I'd like to point out two things here. Isn't it true that God's mercy is what transforms us? What has transformed you? Isn't it that the, the reflection of the mercy and grace of God has changed us? For the grace of God appeared to all men, training us to say no to ungodliness, but yes to holy and upright lives. Second, God can show his transforming mercy through our loving care towards one another. God can show his transforming mercy through our loving care towards one another. And we are often guilty, or we are often guilty of overlooking the fact that God can show his mercy through us. Lord, this brother, brother Lord, help him. Lord, may you send a person to help the brother. You never realize you have you have what it takes to help. And we need to understand that it is, so many times, it is by our gesture of kindness that God brings transformation to our brothers. If we are conscious of this, then this should fuel us to intentionally seize, to intentionally grab every opportunity to show kindness. Let's not be stingy because when God gave us grace and mercy, He was not stingy. He was generous. He was lavish. And second, this should cause us to pray earnestly that God would bless our gesture of kindness to impact our brothers. The church, we have to be honest. One of the things that we need a lot of growing as a church is to put our compassion in action. 
with our compassion in action. We need to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Let's go to the third point. From Jacob's humility, which started to bring his family together, we see the gestures of love of Joseph making them at ease with each other. Thirdly, the heat that melted the heart of Joseph, talagang bumigay na si Joseph after this one, is the sacrificial love displayed by Judah. Joseph was checking if his brothers have changed. He would no longer have any doubt that the brothers have been changed by God after this one. So third point, God can bring us together through a loving sacrifice. That can bring us together through a loving sacrifice. Continuing with the tension of goodness and testing after enjoying a good dinner over wine. They surely had a good time. It's time to test them again. Instructing his steward to put the money back into their socks and put the silver cup on Benjamin's sock. And then run after them with a search warrant and search all their belongings. Joseph was seeking to see if his brothers, look at the drama here, would no longer do what they did to him. Well, Benjamin was their father's favorite after Joseph was gone. And you notice that Joseph gave Benjamin five portions. It was not because he noticed that this Benjamin really eats well. Let me give you more. It was setting them for the test. So that they may feel that even hanggang dito ba naman sa Egypt, siya pa rin yung favorite. And the basic question that we need to look at is, will they not care of how their father feel again? And more so, will they want to get rid of the favorite son again? Will they show the same attitude that they had 22 years ago? Genesis 44, verse 12 to 13, will begin to answer this question. It reads, this is the steward. He searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sock. Verse 13, look at this. Then they tore their clothes. Ah, if you know the story, that is remarkable. All their hearts broke. And instead of saying, you know, let's just, anyway, he's the favorite today. And like the past where we dramatize things and we told our father that your favorite son must have been eaten by the beast. Look at the multicolored coat. It has blood on it. Instead of thinking we can just make drama again, we, the man said he could not return. What can we do? He was the prime minister of Egypt. Instead of doing that one, we were told, and everyone loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. Instead of getting rid of the favorite, the new favorite, they all wanted to sacrifice for Benjamin. Verse 16, we are told that Judah said, We are my Lord's servants, both we and he, meaning Benjamin, in whose hand the cup has been found. In other words, make us all your slaves. And after the drama of, you know, you steal my silver cup, do you know that I practice divination? Joseph denied the request that they would all stay. He said, no, far be it from me to do it. All of you go back to your father and only the one to whom the cup was found, that's Benjamin, will be my slave. We didn't see, verses 18 to 34, this is a long speech of Judah. This is Judah's speech, which I would not unpack every detail, but just give us an outline. In verses 18 to 23, basically, Judah gave him a history of how, you know, they were forced by Joseph himself to bring Benjamin down. Verse 24 to 28, 
basically narrates how they persuaded Jacob to send Benjamin with them. That's just basically it. What I will be focusing is verse 30 to 34. It reads, Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Shaw. For your servant, that's Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Verse 33. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah pointed that losing Benjamin would mean their father's life, which he could not dare to see. And since he was the pledge of safety to his father, he said, my life or the boy's life. And there are parts of the scripture where you cannot miss the picture of the gospel, isn't it? In his book, The Poetics of Biblical Narrative, Mayor Steinberg commented on this act of Judah saying, Simply, Judah so feels for his father that he begs to sacrifice himself for a brother more loved than himself. That Judah adduced or evidenced the father's favoritism as the ground for self-sacrifice. So he said, because my father loved this boy and he could not take it, that the boy would be lost. That's favoritism. And he said, let me be. Mir Stenberg said, is such irresistible proof of filial love, filial devotion. Joseph saw that this is the kind of love. No question now. And it breaks down Joseph's last defenses. In other words, if Joseph wants to see if his brothers have changed, there can be no other display of maturity but a sacrificial love. Even today, there can be no other display of maturity, sacrificial love. The brothers have changed. The sacrificial love of Judah has brought the family together. Next week in Genesis 45, we see how they would bring together. And it's all because Judah displayed his sacrificial love. Can you hear the gospel in it? The one will bring broken people from all parts of the world, people or enemies in the past, people who have probably hurt one another. It's not even distribution of wealth, nor human power, nor simply respecting each other, nor a fight for equality. That's not what brings people together. What brings people together is sacrificial love, but sacrificial love not of Judah, because the sacrificial love of Judah would only bring the family of Jacob together. It's the sacrificial love of the Son of God who created the world that brings this world together. At least those who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Long read, but it's a beautiful read. Ephesians 2, 13-21, it reads, But now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the sacrificial love of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh whatever that kept us from each other, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Look at that. By the sacrifice of Christ, 
Gentiles and Jews, who are the epitome of division, will now become one. And you know what is called? The church. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the division. And he came and preached to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to you who are near, Jews. For through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And because of Christ, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He is the one who puts this together, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There you go. It is sacrificial love that will bring people together. We're here today not because this place is near your place, maybe to some of us. This place, we gather in this place not because your best friend is here. Not because if you don't have food, your neighbor who's here is giving you food. We're here in this place because of the sacrificial love of Christ. So with the sacrificial love of Christ, which brought men from all nations together, that's the church, we understand that God will also practically bring us together through our sacrificial love towards one another. Churches and sacrificial love is a powerful tool of God to mend relationships. Sacrificial love is a powerful tool of God to mend relationships. Paul said in Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Peter saying to the wives whose husbands were unbelieving and probably harsh, Peter said to them, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Listen to this, wives. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Sabi niya, yung pagtahimik daw po natin at pagrespect, mas powerful yun kaysa bibig natin. Ayun po yung sabi nun. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We cannot win relationship by power, but by our sacrificial love, which reflects the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe some of us here have been thinking of how to get even with the colleague, how to get even with that person. Maybe all you need to do is to show kindness. Maybe some of us here are already thinking of how can we reason out How can I show that I am right and you're wrong? When all you need to do is to be show your quiet and gentle spirit. And really the question for us church is, how can you show kindness to those whom you need to be reconciled? Think of it. And do it. And as we learn how to show love, May the Lord in his goodness unite our families together. This is our prayer. That's why we are pushing on family family devotion, family worship. And we pray that as we learn how to love, there is unity in our families. That our families will be a testimony to our neighbors that Jesus is with us. And not only unite our families, but unite us as a church. Maybe like Jacob, or the family of Jacob, who finally decided as one. Maybe when we learn to to be together in everything we do as a church, or maybe when we learn how to love and respect one another, maybe we can finally be together in everything we do. Because this will show that we have known the love of Christ. And this will show that we have matured as a church. If you continue to think like, okay, 
just announce it, Pastor. We'll just listen to it, but we are not moved by it. We'll continue to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. Or we can say, let's do this together. That is a mature church. So we should continue to work on unity because we already see that sacrificial love can make it happen when we were brought together through the sacrificial love of Christ. Let's do this. Because we have come to understand, as we look at the gospel, we have come to understand that if we will just show sacrificial love towards one another, this will bring us together. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. And we indeed pray, Lord, that we get to understand that it's love, it's the reflecting of the gospel towards one another that would truly grow us in maturity and bring us together. Lord, this is our humble prayer before you. We are all proud full of pride, that by your grace, we can humble ourselves and count others more significant than us. Father, we honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www dot cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.